0: Head to shopify.com.au for your 14-day free trial. Welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by Shopify. Peers speaking, peers listening. This is a conversation for you. I'm your host, Michelle Akitinor, founder of leading Australian podcast agency, The Peers Project, and your fellow passionate peer. Each week... Hello, peers, and welcome to the Peer to Peers podcast, powered by Shopify. We've probably all said it before. I'll be happy when I get that promotion, the new house, the dream client, the pay rise. As ambitious people, it's easy to get caught up in the grind and chase of striving for success. But what if we let joy in right now? Today's guest, Alison Lee, is the CEO and founder of tech company Hempster a platform that's working with brands to tailor clothing to you, not the other way around. After working a cushy tech job in Silicon Valley, Alison took a leap of faith to build her own business, giving herself a timeline of just one year. Alison is now a Forbes 30 Under 30 listee and is working with brands including Reformation, Outdoor Voices, A-Day, and many more. In today's episode, powered by Shopify, Alison shares why you shouldn't base all of your happiness on one milestone, the power of taking a leap of faith, and how to trust yourself to keep going. For those of you who haven't yet posted about our podcast on your socials, or if you're new here, welcome. And please do take a screenshot of this episode right now, post it to your Instagram story, and tag us at the Peers Project to the other peers out there can benefit from the wisdom of these incredible millennial entrepreneurs and help us on our mission to empower you all to pursue what you're most passionate about through business. Okay peers, without further ado, welcome Allison. Allison Welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. We're so excited to have you on the show today.
1: I'm so excited to be here. Thanks so much.
0: Of course. You know, you and I recently connected and when I looked into you and all of the amazing work you're doing and retail, I knew I had to have you come on the show. So I really appreciate you taking the time.
1: Thanks so much. I know it was kind of hard to find a time that works (laughs) for both of us since I'm in Brooklyn and you're in... Australia, Melbourne, right? Yeah, <laughs> yep. Yeah, so I'm glad we we can finally make this happen, but I'm really excited to be here.
0: Ah, oh, I love it. I know I I was like, hopefully we can we can do it, and here we are. It's a good time. Yes, amazing. So, look for those of us who don't know who you are and what you do. Tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Yeah. Well, so my name is Allison Lee. I'm the founder CEO of this company called Hempster, which I started back in 2017. Um, we're a tech-enabled tailoring company who helps a lot of uh, digital native brands like MM Laflora, Day, Faraday, but also from their store side as well. So um, yeah, it's been a really crazy journey, especially recently because of COVID, really changing the entire landscape of retail industry. So yeah, it's been quite some time. Um, and I started my career back in um, more Silicon Valley. So definitely, like when I started Hemstir, it was a very new um, adventure for me because I didn't know anything about retail or fashion. And I really just approached it as a tech SaaS company um, POV. So I'm glad we can share a little bit more about what not to do um, for your peers as well. Um, And hopefully I can like just provide any of the detour signs that you see on the roadmap so that I can prevent any of these like crazy journeys that I went on.
0: Yes. Oh my goodness. I hear you. You know, entrepreneurship. It is a crazy ride. And that's so cool to hear that you work with a day. The girls at a day. They um yeah, Nina came on the podcast when I was in New York two years ago now. So
1: Oh very cool. Yeah,
0: love them. You know, they're the best and what they're doing is incredible. So that's super cool to hear. Amazing. So look, before we dive into your business more, I want to start with a question that I've often found to be very insightful and revealing, and that is, where did you grow up and how has this impacted the choices you've made in your life and in your career so far?
1: Yeah, um, I think, I mean, monumentally, right, to keep the the answer very short. But so where I grew up was in South Korea, Um, I did not grow up in Seoul Uh, I actually grew up in Busan which is more of like a like a beach town Um, it's kind of like seen as like an LA of Korea where it's more laid back it's right by the beach that's where my parents um, really raised me and my younger brother so you know um, I love Korea I love the homogenous like society and there's a lot of comfort in you know having a lot of similar people around you at all times but I think I knew at a very early age that I didn't necessarily fit in perfectly because I tend to be very like loud and I tend to, you know, want to create my own path. And there aren't that many opportunities to do that in Korea. So, you know, I was very much of like a rowdy child. My mom got a lot of phone calls from <laughs> my um, elementary school teachers st- saying that, hey, um, Allison, she's good in class but sometimes she can get a little rowdy she riles up all these kids and um she needs to like calm down a little bit that was like a lot of the feedback that my mom got yeah and especially like compared to my younger brother who tends to be very calm and he's like a perfect like so like a citizen of that kind of like community um I just knew that I was always like the black sheep of you know, my immediate family and then in my community and, you know, furthermore in my society. So growing up in that, it's a little hard, right? Because you just don't feel like you're really accepted as who you are. So when my dad decided to move to Irvine in Southern California, it was also a very impulsive decision because my dad's a psychiatrist. So at that point, he had been a psychiatrist for about 20 years. And it's a really emotionally taxing job. So he wanted to just take a break and maybe just kind of like take a sabbatical more so. So, you know, my parents were like, why don't we just go to Irvine? It's a really nice area. We'll raise our kids for a year and then we'll just come right back to Korea. So that was kind of like the initial thought process there. And once we moved here, uh, I think they saw that This was much more um, to my vibe, as they say. (laughs) So they were like, oh, my gosh, like Allison is like really flourishing. I love the fact that I could pick elective classes like that was not a thing in Korea. You just take the exact set courses, you know, as you're growing up, you can really there's no choices in your education. And when I moved here, I remember. Um I it was in 8th grade and they were like what do you want to take for your elective? You could do music, you could do art, you could do language. And I didn't understand like what that meant. And I was like I can pick a class? Like that's insane. <laughs> so I definitely flourished here and especially coming from a very conservative and traditional background with my dad being a doctor and my mom was a stay-at-home mom. Um They tried to raise us in Irvine in a very conservative way still. So, you know, for me, they were still like education comes first, going to good colleges first, no adventures. And especially for them, it was a very scary journey because they just didn't know where they were going as well. So their one year journey turned into seven years because they saw that me and my brother were adjusting really well and During that time, my dad couldn't practice medicine. So he was like, okay, I need to figure out how to survive here. They didn't speak English. They had never done any kind of like business models before. So they sat me down and they were like, okay, we have three choices. We can open up a gas station. We can open up a gelato shop. Or we can buy a network of vending machines. All around Southern California. Yep. So I remember they like showed me three business models, and I was 13, so I was like, I don't (laughs) care what you choose with gelato. Yeah. And I was like, gelato shop sounds great because I can go. (laughs) Um, But I think they ended up choosing this like network of vending machines, um, and they ran that business for about three years. So I still remember during throughout my high school, all I would do with my parents over the weekend, we would go to Costco and Sam's Club and pick up boxes and boxes and boxes of like famous Amos cookies. And our garage was basically shelves of all the snacks. And you know, my brother would help them stock, I would do financials. And that's kind of like how we survive in my high school years um, in Irvine. So I think how that impacted, you know, how I think about my life, you know, I find a lot of parallel with how I have approached my journey as a founder. So when I decided to kind of like quit my last job in Silicon Valley, like it was a very much of, I'm just going to do it for a year and see what happens. And I think it was a very similar idea my parents had when they just moved here too. And I think they have really lowered the barrier for me to try something new that even though it felt so uncomfortable, even though it was just something I knew nothing about, I think watching my parents just kind of go through with it and come out the other way of like, oh, that was kind of fun. Like seven years in, you guys went to good college. Now we're going to go back to Korea and kind of go back to being a doctor. So I think for me, it was like, oh, I guess it's not the end of the world if you just kind of try something new. So I, you know, have a lot of, you know, um, things to really attribute to my parents for being so brave, especially as immigrants. And, you know, when I think about myself as an immigrant, I draw a lot of business philosophy from that as well.
0: Oh my goodness. That's so interesting, Allison. Go your parents. They (laughs) seem awesome. Like to move across the world and not speak a word of English. Like good on them. From that for our peers out there listening, who perhaps haven't had the same experience, you know, they haven't kind of moved out from where they're from and they're still kind of just in the same country or in the same place, but they have kind of this desire within them to do something a little bit different, but perhaps they just don't have the courage. You know, what advice would you give to us about finding that bravery and that courage that you spoke about and that your parents clearly exuded you know, if we aren't forced into certain circumstances?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I think I want to talk about two things about that. So first is allowing yourself to not be perfect is a big thing. So my parents, when they first came here, their goal was not this huge thing of like, how do I build this empire of vending machines? I think they did a really great job of how do I break this down into very, very manageable chunk that I can just try in a year because that then to yourself, you're almost tricking yourself to think that it's not that big of a deal, and that's exactly what I did as well when I was looking to leave this really, really cushy job. I mean, I had unlimited t n e so wow. I was like, how am I going to like leave this behind? And to myself, I was just thinking that you know what, it's just one year. I have all my bases covered, like what's the worst thing that could happen? If anything, the company doesn't do well, I have amazing things to write about on my resume, and I'm going to get an even better job, and it's going to be win-win all around. And I think just letting yourself cope with very minimal and manageable things that you want to accomplish in this journey really helps you to, again, like lower that barrier in your mentality. Because If you're setting out to say like, I want to build a business that's going to be a billion dollars in five years, that seems impossible. It it seems really daunting. Then you're like really doubting yourself to say like, well, what do I know about technology for me to do it as a 26-year-old back then? Like I would have never started a business that way. So I think definitely thinking about just what's the bare minimum do you want to achieve At the very least, you will get a better job out of it. So what do you have to lose? And I think that's really helped me to kind of like go through that.
0: Mm. So valuable. What has been for you recently the bare minimum that you've had to kind of do to be able to get through the COVID period, you know, prior to recording, you were saying, you know, how how crazy it has been for you guys over the last year, 18 months. What has been that bare minimum for you and how have you stayed kind of motivated?
1: Oh my gosh. It's such a good question and it's so relevant right now, right? So I'll just give you a little bit of context of, of like what the COVID like pandemic area felt like for me for the last 15 months. So Basically, in 2019, right before the pandemic hit, we were going through an insane growth stage. So we basically offered like in-store technology for the store associates to offer tailoring on the spot. So, you know, f- with that, we had grown from about 30 stores using us to about 300 stores using us in the U.S. in six months in 2019. So using that We had raised our, you know, last like institutional round and that was our post seed. And we had moved our headquarters to New York, hired all these people. Like it really felt like my life was on the up and up. And that's when I got also listed as Forbes 30 Under 30. And that just felt like it was culminating towards something really big and amazing and something that I was waiting for since the beginning of this journey. And I still remember this March, 2020 we just all left the office thinking that, oh, I'm going to be back here tomorrow. And then we just never went back. And I remember I went back to the office maybe like six months after. It looked so eerie because literally like half drank cup of like coffee would just sit there like we had just disappeared from this office. And all of our store partners basically closed down overnight. And our revenue went from, like 300k monthly revenue to zero, literally overnight. And when that hits you, it's a you have to like, just let it hit you. There's no easy way to cope with that. I think I was honestly in shock, because that was my year three of like, really working hard at this business, it felt it finally felt like it was going somewhere. And it just felt like everything was taken away from me and I was going back to ground zero. And I wasn't honestly sure if I was emotionally ready to go through that zero to one journey again. So I just had to take some moment and I was like, look, I am not even like accepting this reality. So I'm going to like emotionally cope with that. And afterwards, I think I was ready to set to like some roadmap of, okay, today, I am only going to think about like product roadmap for the next month. That's all I'm thinking about, like nothing else. Because I think part of being a founder, like you are pulled into like thousand different directions. Like it can be as strategic as, okay, where do I want this to go in the next decade? And it could be as granular as like a one customer complained, And now we have to figure out a way to respond. So for me, it was just like, really putting the blinders on when I needed them and just setting a very, very doable goals. And I think for the first month, I actually only worked maybe about four hours a day because I knew that that's all I could kind of like comprehend at the moment. Um, And then, yeah, I mean, it took us six months to figure out like, okay, you know what? Now it's time for us to pivot into um, e-com and going into virtual tailoring. How do we develop a product around that, and how do we go to market with that? And that really felt like zero to one journey again, where I was finding new brands to talk to, I was finding new product managers, and I was designing from scratch and I was wireframing all these new, uh, different screens. And you know, this year it's kind of like going back into that hyper growth moment again, as we have you know pivoted towards more omni channel experience with digital native brands like a day. But now the stores are coming back as well. So I think, you know, this year and next year is going to be like really, really exciting for us. But I do remember when you're really down in the trenches, like you have to be very guarded about your heart and your soul and just be really honest with yourself about, I can't do any more work than four hours today. And you just have to be okay with that too.
0: How do we get okay with that? how do we get okay with appreciating and knowing that it's all we can do is all we can do? It's tough.
1: Oh my gosh. You know, especially as
0: entrepreneurs, as founders, as those of us who are super ambitious and want to do things all the time. How do we embrace that?
1: Yeah. And for me, that learning came in 2019. So Actually, the COVID was not the lowest point of my career. I think it was when I was raising venture fund um, in 2019. This was my first like institutional round that I had not really raised from professional investors before. It was all like angel funds before. And this was my very first, like I'm going to talk to venture capitalists. So I talked to maybe like 200 funds. Um, They all said no to me. And I think my runway at that point was maybe like a week left or something really like every like hour counted. Like in, I still remember it was like a summer of 2019 where I was just so frustrated because why isn't this working? And I was really unhappy and I was very depressed. And I think I got into this really bad habit of postponing my own happiness And I tied it to a milestone. And I think this is like a trap that a lot of ambitious people especially fall into where, oh, you know what, my current happiness is actually not as important. I will be happy when I hit this milestone. And for me, it was when I raised my money. So I was like, it's okay if I'm unhappy right now. I'm just going through a grind. I will be happy in three months after I have closed it and after they have wired me the cash that I need. And once I raised and when I get when I got that signature on the investment doc, I thought I would be really, really happy. But I actually was equally depressed and miserable. And the level of problems that came after we raised were even bigger. And I think that taught me a really valuable lesson of, oh, I can't be tying my own happiness and my own contentment to a external validation or external milestone. I just have to be cognizant and I have to choose to be happy every day. So now when I think about how do I accept my own flaws and my short, my shortcomings and the days that I just can't seem to feel motivated is then I delay and postpone actions, but not my own happiness so i still choose to be happy but then i will tie okay i will get these roadmap done and then i will do abc but it doesn't mean you don't have to you can't be happy until these things have happened in your life right so for me like understanding that took a long time and now i'm like okay am i happy today like No, because I'm really exhausted and I don't, I just can't seem to fix this problem today. Then I pause there and then I just let it happen on its own because it's just not worth it for me to be unhappy in this journey.
0: I love that you shared that with us. Thank you. I think so many of us can resonate. I definitely do. How can we get better at trusting the process?
1: Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, it's kind of like dating, right? So if you think about it, like you have to just give it time and enough bonding interactions with the person that you're dating for there to be a trust in that relationship. So I think for me, I just had to go through at least like four bumps in the road for me to just live through that and say like, oh, you know what, like, I thought it would be way worse, but actually turned out to be pretty okay. And from that, I built trust, like with myself, and with the process that I chose to go through at that point. Because I think the connotation behind you saying, oh, how do I trust this process is really, how do I trust myself to make right decisions during that process? Right? It's more about like, you, the process itself is like, it can be anything for anybody. But I think for me, it's kind of like, how do I know that I am doing the right thing right now? And I think that caused the most anxiety when I wasn't sure, especially as like a young founder. And I was a solo immigrant female founder who was trying to raise in like Silicon Valley. So every move I made, it just felt like, oh, I should have done better. I could have done better. I didn't do it right. And it was a lot of self-doubt. And It took that, you know, fundraising round and going through pandemic and then like thinking about raising again and dealing with the board for all these processes to happen to me first that now I finally trust like my own decisions and my own logic that, you know what, I think I'll be okay. And I think at that point you can finally say, oh, you know what, I think I trust the process that I am putting myself through.
0: Such valuable advice oh allison we've gone so deep and i bloody love it i want to jump backwards a little bit and talk about the transition from quitting your job into starting the business and the idea for hamster at the time so you know you said that you had a really cushy job and it was super comfortable i think you were the director of monetization at a company called Peel, if I'm correct. And I think you were there for about two years-ish after you'd obviously done Berkeley and, and all that good stuff and was at university. Can you talk to us a little bit about the decision to quit and kind of where the idea for Hempster came about?
1: Yeah, for sure. So, you know, as I mentioned, like my background before Hempster was not in retail, not in fashion. It was more from like a very consumer and like self passion place where you know Hemster's idea came about. So from Peel um Peel was basically like an Alibaba backed IoT company. I Meaning it was like an internet of things. It was um a true B2B2C play as well where they were partnering up with someone like Samsung to put their apps in all the Galaxy phones. And they were powering the Samsung Galaxy phones to actually change the channel on your TV. And during that process, they were gathering TV viewership data. So I love that like B2B2C distribution channel plus the data ingestion model. But I didn't really love the industry of IoT, nor did I really care about like, oh, how do I monetize like the TV viewership data? The challenge itself was not very um, exciting for me. So I think using that I remember I had um, flown to New York to visit a couple of my friends and uh, you know my friend and I we were just walking down Fifth Avenue and we were just kind of like window shopping and we saw this like really pretty dress um and she was like oh my gosh that's so cute like you know we should go in and try it on and I said you know what if I wear it it's going to look really inappropriate because I'm pretty tall And if you wear it, it's going to look like you're a nun because she's pretty short and like she's very tiny. So it was kind of like a joke at the moment. But I think for me, I was like, oh, that's kind of weird because our bodies are our bodies. Like my body isn't going to change overnight, but I have to constantly feel what's going to fit me the best. And I didn't really love that relationship between brands and me when I'm the consumer. I have the same body, how come I have to play by their pre-made size rules? So this was also at the same time, like Stitch Fix was blowing up. And I also found it really fascinating that they were trying to quantify the idea of style. But for me, I was like, oh, the quantification of fit is much easier, because that's actually numbers of like measurements and thinking about that. But I also knew that I didn't want to gather body measurements because you and I could have exact same body, but what if you like to wear something really loose and I like to wear something really tight? So there was no player in the market that was really capturing this personalized idea of the perfect fit per customer per garment type. So it was more of a pet project of like, how do I get that data? And tailoring honestly also was not in my background. I never considered it, but I just set out to basically test out about 12 different data tools that in my mind could serve me to become an ingestion model. So I looked at virtual scanning. I looked at like body images. I looked at, you know, like the past purchase data. And I looked at tailoring as one of like, okay, like the old school tool. Let's see how it does. And really surprisingly, tailoring gave me the most accurate and reusable data because you're already using like a template of clothing to tell me how to fix it, to make it fit to you perfectly. So I really like that, like proactiveness of like customer telling me that, hey, this pants doesn't fit me, can you fix it? And me being able to digitize that interaction with the customer. So with that, I was like, okay, well, I know I don't want to be a B2C tailoring company. So how do I get to the users and their data as quick as possible and that's where you know my training at peel came really handy where i knew that i wanted to leverage the b2b relationship as my um, customer acquisition channels so then i looked at oh cool like i know nordstrom offers tailoring but all these individual brands it's really hard for them to do it because logistically financially it doesn't make sense so i just went into every single boutique in san francisco um, when i first started (laughs) So I was like, hey, like, if you can offer tailoring through me, but in your store, like, would you do it? And I think about half of them were like, oh, yeah, that's kind of cool. Like, how do I do that? And from there, I think I launched with maybe like 10 of them at the end of um, 2016 summer. And then we went to public or we launched publicly with Westfield Mall in San Francisco in 2017. And that's where we started building more direct to real uh direct relationships with um, I think True Religion was one of our first customers, Michael Kors Men, um, and all these like really amazing brands. And then, you know, the 2018, 2019 came around where we were just growing really quickly, um, nationwide. But it was very much of a humble beginning. And I was again like a solo first time founder where I just didn't know what was going on. So I just at every day I just did what I thought was the best move possible, which was just to add as many stores as possible. So I just called them, visited them. I became friends with a lot of the managers at the boutique. I knew when their shift like started and ended, and I knew their key holders. So yeah, it was like a really fun time. You know, <laughs> I was like, what else am I gonna do <laughs> today? Like I'm gonna go into the boutique today. <laughs>
0: I mean, why not, you know, if they're loving it? I love how for you it was such like that joyful, you know, and obviously you've talked a lot about the hard times, but at the beginning it was just kind of that passion. And, you know, initially you mentioned that you had this mindset of I'm going to go into this for a year and we'll just see what happens. For our peers out there listening who – perhaps they are still stuck in that cushy job. I wouldn't say stuck, perhaps they are just in that cushy job, but they feel like there's something more that they could be doing. You know, they feel something inside of them that's like, you know what, is this it? What would be your advice to us?
1: Yeah. Oh my gosh. So I think it's also not, it's like overrated that all founders need to pursue their dreams full-time. I think- it's so easy to prove out the concept. And if there is a value in market as like your pet project for at least six months. And you know, if you can't seem to find that product market fit with like, who would buy this and how much are they willing to pay? And what should I like build for the next 12 months? If you don't have that kind of direction and market feedback, then it's probably too early for you to kind of like go full in into this idea anyway. So I think there's a lot you can do especially if you have a really nice flexible job already that you could explore very early beta versions of your product in the market without having to leave the job right away. So I think there's a lot um of creative things you can do to just get like market feedback on your early MVPs.
0: Did you dive straight in or was it a 6 month runway?
1: Yeah, so I worked on Hemster for at least, I want to say four or five months um, before I knew that this is something I wanted to pursue full time. It was actually when I signed my first client, because until I knew that there was a brand who was like, you know what, this is a good enough idea where I want to actually put money and sign a contract, I knew it just would be more of a dream and an idea rather than like an actual product. So. I definitely wanted to stay on it until I got some real like cold, hard market validation.
0: We love the market validation. Oh my goodness. I absolutely love it. Look, Alison, you and I could talk for days. I'm loving this, but I am mindful of your time. I've got a suite of questions for you before we start to wrap up. And the first one is, You've talked a lot about your greatest failure, but what has been your greatest failure and win to date? Got
1: it. Um, I think the greatest win for me is hiring good people and building out the team. And I have to be honest with you, like when my board um first told me I need to hire better, I fought back so much. I was like, what do you mean? I don't need to hire more. I like it lean. We're growing fine. But now I see the wisdom in that is like the company really is just some of people working in the company and really building that culture where people feel excited to contribute and people feel seen and heard and kind of use it as their own launch pad to go into something bigger than themselves. I think I feel very proud in building an environment in that way Um, and really rewarding true contribution from individual team members. I think that's also very important. So I think for me, that's kind of like the even bigger win than, you know, our signing a contract with a big brand or even our revenue growth. I think it doesn't mean as much to me rather than like seeing people really grow and take shape and learn more about themselves and like learning what they want to do like after hamster you know like if they were to leave and if they came to me and they were like you know what else i really want to start my own business i would be freaking psyched because i think that i probably did my job to like expose them enough to different business functions and got them excited about like tech and startup and a lot of the people we hired at hamster like they come from very retail focused or alteration side or tailoring side where they just didn't really have access to technology or like thinking about joining a tech startup. And I think I'm very fortunate to have this opportunity to give out to these people who are very hardworking and eager and very intelligent. And this is finally their chance to like become who they were supposed to be.
0: Oh, oh my goodness. I want you as my boss. What? (laughs) I love it. You mentioned that They said you have to hire better. Can you talk to us a little bit about what that means and how you navigated through that?
1: Totally. Oh, my gosh. And, you know, this is something I have to continuously grow as the founder as well, because, you know, it's a very big transition going from like an early stage founder into a CEO. And I think that's kind of like what I am you know, going through right now of like, okay, how do I become an actual executive versus like a small founder who is just involved in every single thing that's going on in the company. So for me, like, it was really daunting because, you know, again, like I was a very young founder too. So the idea of hiring like an expert who is better than me at certain things and who probably has like more experience than me and who can frankly be probably be a better CEO than I am. Like, that's really terrifying because, you know, it part of it means that you're giving up this control that you have worked so hard to like keep and build upon and this foundation and build that trust with that person, you know, outside of like yourself now. So for me, it was very much of like this mental block of like, how do I hire someone who I know intimidates me and to even like acknowledge that it took me a while because at first I was like how come I'm hiring people who are just like underperforming like I don't get it and then eventually I realized it's a pattern where I am picking the wrong people because I'm actually intimidated by picking the right people so it's like a very similar thing where I think I was like, kind of like lying to myself and I was like, oh, you know what? It's their fault. They didn't perform. But really, like I was almost intentionally picking the wrong people and expecting them to shine because I didn't want to hire like an adult in the room, right? So that's a, that was a big learning curve that I had to go through. Um, and, you know, frankly, I'm still working through it. And I think now I'm kind of like getting better at Really letting go of the control and like trusting that person as like a VP or director or even like, you know, the C-suite person to come in and really like help build something bigger than myself. So, yeah, that was a big um, learning moment for me.
0: Massive. I'm currently going through that so everything you're saying i'm just like furiously nodding my head you guys can't see me but i just it resonates so much i think it's the losing of control that's my biggest thing it's like oh my goodness, this is my baby. I've been working on this for four years. Like, you know, obviously we've got team members and whatnot, but there's no one in that exact position but me. And that's scary to think, to like, you know, give away control of something that you've like built from the ground up. Like,
1: oh my gosh, just, totally. And yeah. part of it for me, it was like, it was also like, I didn't want to be exposed as an imposter. To- yeah. So I think that comes really from like my own insecurity of thinking I'm not good enough. And I didn't want this like expert to come along and be like, Alison's not very good. Yeah, and maybe exposing such... that to like myself, right? Yeah. And I think that was what I was really afraid of. Like, oh my gosh, I don't want somebody else here who can't expose me and like of my insecurities. And it you just have to, at some point for me, like I had to just realize that I was the biggest blocker for company to grow, and that's a really terrible feeling when you have like, oh my gosh, I am literally the reason why Hempster can't get to the next level because I refuse to hire because of my own insecurities. Like, (laughs) what kind of terrible, (laughs) what kind of terrible founder is that? And when that dawned on me, I was like, okay, I have to really put away like my own issues, and I have to like be better about making the right decisions. And it it was a very like, you know, rude awakening. (laughs) Wow. I'm not doing right by my team too.
0: Oh my goodness. I feel you. Look, Alison, over the last six years in business, you've been through so much and you've come out stronger than ever. You know, you've received a lot of recognition for your work along the way also. And most notably, as you mentioned, you were featured on the Forbes 30 under 30 list. What are three key pieces of advice that you would give our peers out there listening that you wish you got when you were just starting out?
1: I think one thing is definitely relax because I really worked myself to the bone for no reason. Um, I got a lot of Fulfillment out of working and working itself, but I wasn't really looking at the result, and I wasn't looking at like how do I get there efficiently. So if I wasn't working like eighty hours a week, I felt like I was just not doing enough, which is so not true. So I think definitely like if I could go back and I could talk to myself, I'd be like, "Alison, you calm down. <laughs> it's going to be okay, and you just have to brace yourself for like a long term." battle so I think that's like the first thing um then the other thing it's really interesting that you mentioned the Forbes 30 under 30 because although it was an amazing like honor that I got listed but after I got listed um and I was actually 29 so it was literally my last chance to get listed anyway um I actually felt really lost because I didn't feel like again i didn't feel like i deserved it so i was like huh i do i really like am i that person and i think i did go through like a quick like identity crisis because you know i never really did this for like an external validation and when you get it it's very confusing to yourself because i never really like wanted it and now i got it so i'm really happy and my parents were really excited um but like I felt like they shouldn't be really happy because, you know, this was just the beginning and I'm going to do so much more. So why are they so excited about this like one thing um, that's like totally external? So I think it was a very confusing time for me. So definitely um, my big thing is like finding fulfillment and achievement within yourself is the most anchoring thing that I could do, like relying a lot on chasing external validation can be really exhausting. And also it can like really take you to a lot of detours that doesn't require in this founder journey. So I think definitely like not letting other people sway you too, whether it's investors, whether it's, you know, these media or whatever um you find your value in, but also having that grounding force within yourself too.
0: Oh. Such great advice. I definitely need to hear this episode. I'm sure our peers out there listening are lapping it up just like I am. Look, Alison, I just want to take a moment to acknowledge you for the incredible work you've done and that you're doing, for the amazing woman that you've become and for being real with us today about your journey and the the ups and downs and all the struggles, as well as the beautiful side of it all. You know, I think through your journey and through what you've done, you've really shown us, and particularly us, you know, women of color, ambitious women, that if we have that goal, that vision and that dream, we can go after it. We can make it happen. And for that, we really appreciate you.
1: Oh, thank you so much for having me. It was really nice to, you know, yeah, have this environment where I can like share my story and, you know, obviously be really transparent about where I've been. And hopefully this can become like a little bit of a guidance, especially if you're thinking about starting a business or thinking about going on this journey, like you're not alone, obviously. And that was really helpful when I was starting out. So thanks so much for having me.
0: Of course. Uh, And the final question is how we finish every episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. And that is, what is the value of pursuing what you're most passionate about?
1: I think the value, the biggest value I have is that I have no regrets. And I think that's a very powerful thing to say that when I look back in the last five years, do I have pain in certain moments of memories? Yes. But do I regret any of the decisions I've made? Like, no. And I think being so confident in me saying no to that, I think that's so powerful because I feel very content with my life and I feel so fulfilled in my life too. And I think that's, honestly, like the biggest blessing I've gotten from this journey is that I've gotten to know myself, I got to trust myself. And at the end of the day, I know this is where I'm supposed to be. And knowing that for yourself also really eliminates a lot of other anxieties that you could have in your career. So for that, I'm very appreciative. And I think that's a that's a unique blessing that you get as you're pursuing what you think is your true dream and your true purpose.
0: I love it. Ah, Alison, we've had an absolute blast. Thank you so much. Where can we learn more about you and Hamster?
1: Yeah, well, so Hamster, you can come uh, hang out at our website. It's www.hamster.co. And about me, maybe LinkedIn is the best um, place. My Instagram is private because I post a lot of weird adventures. Um, So Yeah, come uh, connect with me.
0: Perfect. We'll link him up in the show notes. Thank you so much again. And for everyone else listening, we will end with that. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by Shopify. Remember, Peers, we're here to help you turn your passion into a business. And so is Shopify. And so if you're looking to start your biz, Head to shopify.com.au for your 14-day free trial. Peers, that's a wrap. We hope you've enjoyed your introduction to our latest guest beer and that you find them as gung-ho as we do, which is our way of saying inspirational. For more, make sure to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review. We produce with passion, and it doesn't stop here. To see what else we're up to, visit thepeersproject.com or follow us on Instagram at thepeersproject. We'll have fresh, real talk for you next week, Peers. Until then, if you need inspiration, look amongst